I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. As we said last Sunday, there are several foundational questions that almost everyone asks at one time or another in life. Questions like, does God exist? And if so, what is He like? Who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? How's it all going to end up? There are licensed counselors in our world today providing people guidance on these topics, best-selling books that are flying off the shelves that provide insight, differing belief systems offering up answers. We said last week that God gives us detailed answers to all of these questions all throughout His Word, and there are certain places in His Word where He provides all the answers in one passage of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 is one of those types of passages. If you have your Bibles, get there to Colossians chapter 1. In this passage, the Apostle Paul, under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, provides answers to all of these questions for us. This is an extremely popular passage of of Scripture has been preached again and again, and in churches like this one, tells us a whole lot about God and man and sin and salvation, and for that reason, I've taken an extra Sunday to cover this passage. Last week, we discussed Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, and answered the question of whether God exists, what is He like, who are we, and why are we here? Colossians 1.15, we answer the question, does God exist and what is He like? Paul says in verse 15 that God does exist and is condescended down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He says He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So right there, the Bible teaches God exists. We are taught in and throughout Scripture that God exists as one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we learn here in Colossians 1 that there was a time in history when the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on flesh and He lived among us. He is, as we said last week, the visual expression, the visual manifestation of the invisible God. 
Jesus is God and, and came as the Word of God, the revelation of God, as John tells us in John 1. He came to reveal to us who God is. He came from heaven to earth to, to show us, to make known who God is in the words He shared, in the life He lived, and in the work He accomplished. Paul says He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We explained last week that the word translated firstborn is the Greek word protokos. It does not mean that Jesus was a created creator, someone of supreme importance, but someone who is less than God. While that word does refer to a, a firstborn in the family, it's not a reference to one's birth, but a reference to one's favor. It means highly favored one. Jesus is highly favored. He is supreme. Supreme over what? Everything. All of creation. You know why? Because He is creator of everyone and everything. By Him, Paul says, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. He alone is creator. That could be said of no one else. Christ alone, creator of everyone and everything. Paul says in verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only is Jesus creator of everyone and everything, but he is keeping everything that he has created going. The water's flowing, the sun's shining, his people breathing, his animals eating. And so on and so forth. He is the sustainer. In Him all things hold together, we're told. The reason Paul tells them this is because there were false teachers in the church at Colossae at this time who were tempting the people of God to drift from the person and work of Jesus. Paul is writing to them and saying, hey, Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. He is supreme, creator of everyone and everything. He is at work all around us all the time. Don't you move one inch from Jesus. Jesus is creator of all things. And because He is creator of all things, He is supreme over all things. Because He is supreme in all creation, all of our focus should be on Him. It's pretty simple, right? Paul just lays it out simply for the Christians at Colossae and for us today, believers. We should not drift from Christ to any other created thing because all things were made through Him. And get this, all things were made for Him. That leads us into our second question. We answered last week, who are we? Why are we here? And how are we to live? Look again, Colossians 1.16. All things were created through Him and for Him. Paul, Paul tells us we were created by God in His image, male and female, to glorify Him. We were created to live for God. We were put on this earth to bring glory to God. We were put on this earth to know God. We were put on this earth to live for Him. That is true of everyone, especially those whom He has redeemed. We're commanded to live our lives to the glory of God. Those who are not are in disobedience. 
Believers, we belong doubly to God. We have been saved by Him. We've been created and, and redeemed in order to live for Him. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. You are not your own. We often want to think we're our own, right? Nobody tells me what to do. I'm my own boss. No. Paul says, nope, you're not your own. You were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. Saved for God. Listen to Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is our head, church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul reminds the Christians at Colossae that Christ is the head of the church. Paul tells them, Christ is your head. He is the beginning. He is supreme. He is your creator. He is your savior. He is the firstborn from the dead. He not only became one of us, he not only lived the perfect life for us, but he laid that perfect life down and he took it up again, becoming the first to live and die and rise again to live forever. In this resurrection, Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians 15, it guarantees our future resurrection as believers. We are so connected to Christ through faith that what, what is true of Him is true of us. Amen? Paul says, for all of these reasons and more, Christ is supreme. In everything, He is to have preeminence. He is to be first in everything. He is creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the savior of God's people, and is to have dominion over us. He is our king who is to reign supreme in our hearts and lives. Bruce Barton in his commentary on Colossians says this. Look at this quote. Because Christ is spiritually supreme in the universe, surely we should give Him first place in all our thoughts and activities. There's the application right there, as if you needed it. Very simple. Believers, we are to live our lives for God. Everything we do in this life as believers, we are to do for the glory of God. We're told that again and again throughout Scripture. You were put on this earth to live your life to the glory of God. And what you say and what you do, the breath that God gives you, you're to give back to Him and praise to Him. Your life is to be like an arrow pointing to Him. That's why you were put here. It's the bottom line on the Christian life. All that we do, we're to do to the glory of God. All things were created by Him and for Him. He has created us. He has redeemed us for that reason. So we said last week, we don't naturally do this, do we? We don't glorify God in all we do. We live to serve the tiny kingdom of self. What's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? What's wrong with the world? That's the next fundamental question in life that Scripture answers. Let's look at it. Question number three, what is wrong with us and what is wrong with the world? Here's the answer. We're going to learn in these verses that we are what's wrong with the world. Sin is what is wrong with the world. We have rejected and ignored God in the world He has created, failing to be and do what He has required in His law. 
That's God's answer. We learn a different answer from the world. At this time in Paul's day, those in the church at Colossae were being taught a a mishmash of things, a mishmash of, of doctrines. The false teachers were taking a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from Judaism, a little bit from paganism. Some argue that we can even see early forms of Gnosticism in Colossae. While others argue against this, they say historically Gnosticism wasn't seen until the the end of the first century. And this was written in the middle of the first century, a little beyond that in in the 60s. That doesn't cause me any issues. That doesn't mean these ideas weren't developing at this time. Just popularized toward the end of the first century. But if there there were early Gnostic teachings that were circulating, they taught that all the material world is evil and that mankind was in desperate need of a secret knowledge that only a handful of people possessed. This message was believed to be liberating to the one who discovered it. There was also the belief that through religious effort and devotion, one could earn the favor of God and a right standing with Him. They were being taught that God would be more pleased with them if they piously kept the Jewish laws, feasts, and festivals, even though they were Gentiles. They were being taught that because God is spirit and infinitely greater than us, the only way for us to be made right with Him is through a being lesser than God but greater than man. They are being taught their need of an angelic go-between, an angelic mediator. All of these teachings were being added to and mixed in with the Christian message. False teachers at Colossae were not completely moving away from Jesus in one sense because they're still speaking favorably of Him. Oh, we're still a fan of Jesus. We like Jesus. But in another sense, get this, they were moving completely away from Him because their focus was not solely on His person and work. Their focus was not on Christ alone, just Jesus. And in that way, they were completely abandoning the message of of Christianity, which is focused solely on Him. Listen, this is important. It's vital that we get people to define their terms when they talk about Jesus. There there are a lot of anti-Christian beliefs and teachings today that speak favorably of Jesus. Oh, we're with Jesus too. They try to align with you. But when they present their message, their message is completely counter to the message of Scripture. It's not enough for someone to mention the name of Jesus. Sometimes we're like, oh, they mentioned Jesus, that's great. No, you got to get them to define their terms. What Jesus are you talking about and what do you believe about him? You're talking about the Christ of Scripture? Truly God and truly man? Who provided the only way for us to be rescued from sin and death and restored to God? Is that the Jesus you're talking about? Their answer better be a biblical one. Or we must reject their message as anti-Christian. This is what needed to happen in Paul's day in the church at Colossae. What about today? What, what's, 
What are some answers that people give today for why the world is messed up? Well, there are atheists who deny that mankind is good or evil because our existence is accidental. Therefore, the material world is indifferent. The universe doesn't care. Therefore, morality is relative. There are no moral absolutes to each his own. That is a, a radical but consistent working out of an atheistic worldview. Most of us know deep down things are not right with us, don't we? That is why the self-help section in any major bookstore is the largest. That's why Oprah has a channel. That's why there are judicial systems, prisons, and locks on our doors. We know something's not right in our world. Many believe that it's things that are off in our environment, our chemical makeup. There are answers that can be found in medicine and therapy. Others rightly argue that, that God created the world and rightly believe we messed up the world, but wrongly conclude that God just forgives and forgets. That's what it means to be God. He just sweeps it under the rug and He forgets it all eventually. Some believe that. Others argue that while we've sinned against God, there's enough good in us for us to earn a right standing with God once again through our own efforts. What does God say? What does His Word say? What does Paul say in Colossians 1? Well, God clearly shows us from the front of the Bible to the back what's wrong with us, what's wrong with the world. The problem is sin. While Christ created us male and female in his own image to glorify him, we rebelled against God. We chose to go at life on our own. As a result of our rebellion, sin entered into the world and ruined and wrecked God's perfect world. As a result of sin, a separation has occurred between us and God. The fall affected everyone who has ever lived. Romans 3.10 as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our sin has separated us from God and has ruined God's perfect creation. Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have made separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. We need to be restored. We need to be forgiven. We need to be reconciled. That's why Christ came. Paul reminds the Christians at Colossae of this very thing in verses 20 through 22 of Colossians 1. God has provided forgiveness. He has provided a way for us to be restored to a right relationship with Him, and it's only been provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has made peace with, with, with between us and Himself through the blood that was shed by His Son. Mankind was separated from Him, hostile toward Him, in their minds, committed to doing evil. Verse 21, Paul reminds the Christians in Colossae, You were once this way. You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Sin's what's wrong with us. And what is wrong with the world? 
We have rejected and ignored God in the world he has created and have failed to be or do what he has required in his law. Is there any hope for us? I probably wouldn't have come in today if there wasn't and just delivered that message. Praise be to God, there is. Praise be to God, we can be saved. Praise be to God that we can be restored. How can we, next question, who are broken, be made right with God? Paul answers that question for us in this passage. Here it is. We are forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with God through faith alone and the personal work of Christ alone. That's God's answer. We learn a different answer from the world. Again, many atheists reason in this way. They argue that because God does not exist, we are nothing more than just happy accidents. The world is indifferent to, to the way we are and how we live. Therefore, nothing ultimately needs to change. Secular humanists who are very inconsistent... They believe that while we're one and done, we, we, we should make this one life count. We should try to better ourselves and, and others as if the universe cares. Certain cults and world religions teach works-based righteousness that we are, earn a right standing with God through what we say and do. Again, false teachers at Colossae were teaching this. Paul reminds the, the, the Christians of Colossae of the message they heard and embraced by faith from Epaphras that says, salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. Look at it, verses 19 and 20. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. While Christ came from heaven to earth to be the visible expression of the invisible God, while he came to show us the Father, he also came to fix this broken world, to reverse the curse, to restore and redeem this broken and fallen world in which we live and in us as human beings. He came to make peace. While we were at odds with God and separated from Him because of our sin, Christ came to reconcile us to God and to make peace for us with God by the blood of His cross. He came to do what Adam failed to do. He came to do what we could never do. He lived the perfect life for us. In all the ways we have failed, He succeeded in His life. And He laid His perfect life down at Calvary so that we, through faith alone, in Him alone, could be forgiven of sin and restored to God. Hallelujah. He did it for us. Christ made peace with God through the blood of His cross. Mark that down. Remind yourself of it every day. Christ made peace with God for us through the blood of His cross. That's why we're here. That's why we sing these songs of praise no matter what we're going through in this life. 
That's why we can come in here and rejoice always alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ in this broken, messed up world in which we live because Christ has made peace for us with God through the blood of his cross. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, verse 21, 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There is nothing we can do in our own strength to make ourselves right with God. We must reject any and every doctrine that even hints at this. God has reconciled us in Christ in His body of flesh by His death. The only way for us to have a right standing with God is through Christ. A great exchange took place at Calvary. When Jesus went to the cross, He died as our perfect substitute and sacrifice. He didn't deserve to die because He was without sin. But He went to the cross in our place on behalf of sinners like you and me. Our spotless Lamb. And He offered up His life in our place as payment. At the cross, our sin was laid upon Christ so that His righteousness could be applied to us in faith. That is why and only why we are able to be presented before God as holy and blameless above reproach. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ died in our place so that we could receive His righteous life by faith. That's the gospel. Look at this quote by Mark Manel. This is nothing less than a total reversal of our natural state. It is quite something to be able to say, I am holy, I am without blemish, I am innocent. This can never be the result of my achievement. Far from it. It's because of what Christ has done at the cross. Now, does this mean that works play no part in our spiritual life in any way? Does Christ do it all and we just kind of sit back and do our own thing and just believe that He did that for us and then we just kind of coast through this life? Look at it, verse 22. Paul says, You have been reconciled in Christ's body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, before God. Verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now this verse of Scripture, it causes some people problems, because on the one hand, Paul is clearly stating that there is nothing we do in our own strength to be saved. It's been done for us by God through Christ, yet... Here, Paul tells the Christians at Colossae, you have been reconciled to God through Christ if you continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. 
when studying about the difficult doctrines of the Bible in that class that I, that I taught on Sunday night, we talked about eternal security and perseverance. Those two doctrines made the list on the difficult doctrines of the Bible. What does the Bible teach? Does the Bible teach that God's people are secure by faith alone, in Christ alone? Or does the Bible teach that God's people endure by continuing to trust and follow Jesus? Yes, it's both. Oftentimes in theology, it's not an either or, it's a both and. This is one of those times. The Bible teaches that God's people are secure and the Bible teaches that God's people endure, okay? It's both. We are saved by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone, and we, as true believers, keep trusting, keep believing, keep following until the end. Good works are not the root of our salvation, but they are the fruit that come from a person who is rooted in Christ. Do we do so perfectly? No grace graduates in here. We mess up, but we're messed up about messing up, and we keep trusting, we keep believing, we keep following Jesus. Paul told the Christians in Corinth something similar. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, past tense, they received the gospel, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If... You hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Paul is saying here that it is possible for one to believe in vain. That is what some call counterfeit faith. Paul explains to us that there are some who have a superficial and counterfeit faith, the faith of demons, because remember, even they believe but are not saved. That is what he's addressing here in Colossians 1. Now, some don't like to talk about this. This concerns some people. Nothing I can do about it. I don't write the messages. I'm just the mailman. I just deliver it. That's it. You can't get away from it. In Scripture, Paul is clear that while faith in Christ alone is the root of our salvation, our faith is never alone. Thomas Schreiner in his book, Faith Alone, Great book, you should read it. He says this, look at this quote. True faith expresses itself in works. Yet our works can never be the basis of our relationship with God since we continue to sin. Works are not the foundation of our relationship with God, but they are the fruit of it. The foundation of our relationship with God is justification by faith alone, right? In Christ alone. Good works are not the foundation of our right standing with God. They are the evidence we belong to God. Good works are the fruit. If there is no fruit, the reason might just be that there is no root. Is there fruit in your life? Do you have a desire for God? Are you broken over sin? Are you trusting in Christ for your salvation? Are you following hard after Jesus? Do you have a desire to be more like Him? And do you have a desire to share Him with others? If not, that might just mean you don't know Him and you're not trusting in Him for your salvation. Jesus came for this reason. He came to be our Savior. Joseph was told, he would have a son. He was told to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came.
Have you been saved from sin? Have you been restored to God through faith in Christ? If not, that's the invitation I leave you with today. Christ came, lived, died, rose again to rescue you from sin and death and bring you back into a right relationship with God. I urge you today, if you have not, turn from your sin today. Give your life up and over to Jesus today and be saved today. Let's pray together.